And our reading this week is from the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. Paul writes, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely than now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So for four weeks, we've been thinking about choices and how we make them and what informs them and why it is important for us to, to spend time interrogating and thinking about all of our beliefs and experiences and relationships that help inform the ways that we choose to move through this world. Um, but not only that, a recognition, I think, for all of us, that life is just an overwhelming stream of decisions day after day, minute after minute. Anybody ever feel completely exhausted and overwhelmed by every decision and choice that you have to make? I mean, most of which are not life and death, but an awful lot are at least going to change the course of your day or relationships. Um, so many options and ideas and often not enough time to sit back and leisurely weigh all of the pros and cons and figure out which way we want to move. And we know that so much of how we respond and live and work in this world is by instinct. It's just those habits that we have baked in that we sink into and, and react out of. And I bet, I bet a lot of us have relationships with people in our life who act out of those habits that were formed not through a bunch of forethought or by their religious beliefs or rooted in some sort of sense of how they want to be in this world, but were just shaped by the crucible of life and the experiences that we've had, and then they just sort of act out of those sometimes. Can you picture this person? Thanksgiving's coming up, so just hold that. You'll be reminded of who those people in your life are. That even when everybody sort of takes a step back and tries to maintain an even keel and have all of those polite conversations and, and have enough space and time for everybody, still, still, I think so many of us have things that just trigger a reactionary chain of responses. We make a whole bunch of choices, good or bad or otherwise, it doesn't matter because they are just baked into us and they are how we act and it never feels good and it usually doesn't always end the way we expect. And then here we are with this question of what it truly means to be centered, rooted as, as Christ's disciples in the world. Because if we know how we are supposed to be, yet we can't do it. Um, or another part of our um, confession forgiveness liturgy that we practiced growing up in the, the Lutheran church was to every week together in unison say together, God, forgive us for the things we have done and the things we have left undone. That one's way more convicting for me. Um, there's a handful of things that I could probably think of to go into a confessional and share with a priest. There are an awful lot of things by omission that I am convicted by. 
or just didn't make time for or left out because I just didn't have the capacity to deal with it. And we were faced with this recognition in Romans that that is just how it is. And we are always going to make poor choices and good choices. We're always going to be on the right path until we are not. We are always going to be in an even keel and maintaining and tending in a very delicate and thoughtful way to our relationships until someone says that one thing and suddenly it all comes spilling out. That's just the way it is. We are not perfect, and we don't strive to be perfect. Life is not, this is a little secret, um, climbing a ladder, getting it better and better and more correct and right every single day until we finally reach a state where we can't screw up. That is not what this world is like. That is not what our lives are like. Our lives, I don't think, are an upward trajectory. I think our, our reminder and scriptures that our lives are more like this, like a balloon deflating and just sort of spiraling. Sometimes it's going really good and it's going up and sometimes it's going down. And usually the downward spirals actually launch us into some really positive and, and growth-filled moments where we have a whole nother appreciation for what it means to have some more perspective and to be grateful that we made it through to the other side. But let's be honest, most of the time we are pretty conflicted about our choices. We're not quite sure whether they are good or bad, whether the good outweighs the bad, whether we are on the right trajectory or the wrong trajectory. And we have in this moment a reminder after three weeks of talking about how choices are so important and, and all of those things that we build into ourselves to help us make them are really important. We have then my favorite and final week. It does not matter because God will love you anyway. Full stop the end. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of grace that we make good choices and bad, and we are not judged by our choices. We are judged based on our relationship to God and God's unending forgiveness and reconciliation that comes again and again and again, whether we earn it or deserve it or choose our way to it or not. So I'm 19, and I have this little baby blue Plymouth Sundance. It was the car I got the day I turned 16. I love that car. It has a sunroof. It's awesome. I was working for this, I don't know, like youth weekend. So a bunch of teenagers coming to the college that I was at, um, and there were a bunch of us that were going to be like sort of the counselors for the day or whatever. So I, I had an early morning, earlier than normal, because I wanted to get up and like be really prepared. Uh, my mom was coming. She was bringing some kids from our church. There were hundreds of people coming from all over. Um, it was sort of a big deal. It was a big event. I wanted to be a responsible adult. I'm 19. I mean, at 19, we're all responsible adults, right? Um, so I thought, what does a responsible adult do? What was I told for all of my life? Reminded again and again and again, a responsible adult wakes up and has a good breakfast. I love breakfast. I still love breakfast. My favorite thing about being an adult. And uh, on this morning, there was no breakfast available in like our cafeteria at college um, because it was too early. So I got in my beautiful baby blue Plymouth Sundance that I would like wash and wax. I love that. Um, and I got into my car. I thought, you know, it's 6 a.m. I don't really have time to, like, defrost everything. Like, we just need to, like, get going because I need to get a good breakfast so that I'm ready for this event that I'm going to lead. And so I, I sort of roll the windows down, you know, like you do. Like, that makes it 10% better. Um, and run the windshield wipers, and I pull out um, onto the street, and all is well. I mean, no one's up at 6 in the morning. So I'm driving down the street, and I get to this intersection. There's a huge hospital across the street, um, big, wide road, and a hill that comes up right before the street that I'm turning left off of. And I couldn't really see, but I didn't know that I couldn't really see. You know, when you, like, think 
that you have it all together and you figured it all out, but you don't actually have anything together and you really should have taken another second to think the, through the situation. So I make my left turn. Um, I make my left turn and get about halfway out into the first side of the street before the car comes flying over the hill at 50 miles an hour. And we collide nose to nose, spinning, electric poles. I mean, you can picture the whole thing. She's fine, I'm fine, we're all fine. We made it, we survived. But you know that sinking feeling, <laughs> like in the pit of your stomach or the, the bottom of your heart, I don't know what the right metaphor is, but you know that feeling when you know both, this was my fault and I've screwed up, and also I hope I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> also, what just happened, I mean, this is the thing with a 1990 Plymouth Sundance. First year they put airbags in those particular cars. They were made of like a burlap. So imagine all of this is occurring and then you get like a burlap airbag to the face. Like I had no idea what was going on. Um, it took me a hot second to figure out that it was my fault. It took me another second to figure out there was another person involved. It didn't take very much longer after all that noise and chaos in front of a hospital emergency room for first responders to show up and tow our cars away. And everybody's fine, we're all fine, but you know that feeling. Like, oh, I should have taken like 16 more seconds to think through my morning this morning. There was absolutely no reason that I needed to do this or that or do that. I mean, interrogating every single choice and moment that led up to that one where we reverse engineer and we Monday morning quarterback and we try to figure out all the ways that it could have been better or it could have been different or we could just not feel all these feelings we're feeling because we could have avoided this whole situation in the first place. So much energy into second guessing and trying to figure out. And this is still happening at 6.30 a.m. Um, remember, my mom is driving um, a couple hours to visit that day. Um, so I don't eat a good breakfast, but I finally like pull it together enough to get to this event right as it's starting. Um, and it's in this like event center and the hallway, like picture here to Ellis Hall, just like big, long, sort of like hotel, ballroomy kind of hallway, huge hallway. And I, I see my mom's group of kids that I know and they're coming in the door down there and I'm coming in the door over here. And we just do one of those like really slow walks. You know, like it takes 42 minutes for us to finally meet in the middle. And by the time I've had all of that time to figure out what I'm going to say, I finally get to my mom and I say, hey, bring the car. She all comes out. And she says, it's okay, your dad's in the hospital. He's having emergency surgery. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Turns out the best day to wreck your car is the day your dad is having his gallbladder emerged or emerged, gallbladder removed, um, after coming off an airplane very ill, because um, no one cares about your car at that point. It's really good timing. Um, we made it through our day. It, we made it through that moment. Um, I w ended up in the hospital um, visiting my dad. He was on a lot of morphine or something. I don't know, very calm, despite the pain, which is also the perfect time to say, hey, dad, I wrecked the car. <laughs> and... Maybe it was the drugs in the surgical recovery room. Maybe it was just the intensity of all emotions that my mom had been through on this day, like leading a group of kids to an activity, and then me, and then dad, and all this stuff. But I don't know what it was. We're all just sort of sitting around, and I don't remember exactly what happened. We never remember all those moments precisely. But I remember finally feeling like, oh, it's all right. It's okay. 
I thought that I had made the worst decision of my life. I thought I had screwed up so badly that I was going to be paying the consequences forever. I did have to pay for the next car. I thought I was going to just get into this spiral where I was going to have to really dig, 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 dig to get out. And then here we all are, all are sitting together as a family. And I don't remember the words that were spoken, but I remember feeling, just knowing internally, like, oh, it's okay. This is life. It happens. And I've screwed up since, and I know I screwed up before, and it doesn't matter how many times I screw up or how many chains of poor choices I make, all of those things piling on that I interrogate and wrestle with and wish that I could have changed this or that, and it would have totally changed everything and been better, and we wouldn't have been in a situation. All of that stuff that I go back and try to pull apart and figure out and long to change, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Was it annoying? Was it expensive? Were there lots of complicating factors that it took a while to process through it? Sure. Did it affect my relationship with my parents? No. Did it fundamentally change who I am or how I move in this world? No. I mean, at the end of the day, whether I could change all those choices or was stuck with them didn't really matter because I think a lot of us have experienced this. There is grace in this life. There is a reminder daily, maybe it is from people that are close to us uh, in this life, in this world, or maybe it is this reminder that we have in Scripture that Paul so eloquently writes about again and again and again. I say it week after week because I think we have to hear it all the time. There is nothing we can do to separate ourselves from God's grace and love. Full stop. The end. It does not matter how many of our choices we would change. It does not matter how often we sink into and want to wrestle with all of the moments of the past to try to figure out how we can change them or make them better or respond differently. It does not matter. All of those things that we carry with us that are so heavy that weigh us down, we are able to let them go because God's grace and love is far more powerful and profound and complete than our guilt, than our second-guessing, than all the reminders of our failability and humanness. And here's the good news. You're going to go and make a bunch of bad choices this week. Maybe not a bunch, a couple. A handful, a smidge, or maybe a lot. And you're going to make a lot of good ones too. And we're going to go through life hoping that the good outweighs the bad. And we all sort of wade through all of the complexity and the nuances of the things that we have to figure out and that we make it through the other side and we feel pretty good about ourselves. All that is going to happen. And it does not matter because God is unequivocally stating again and again in our story of Scripture that nothing can separate us from God's grace and love. JC's figuring out how to convey all this at kids' time. I was working on the sermon, and we always get together and compare notes and try to figure out how to dovetail some things. Um, and I don't know if you recognize this, but there is a um, section of this passage that didn't quite apply itself to kids' time quite as uh, easily or, or obviously. The whole, like, justified by God's blood, we're now saved by God's wrath. Um, we actually went back and forth a little bit. Like, how much do we talk about all this language and imagery that Paul likes to use of violence and death and reconciliation? How much does that matter to us today? I mean, it's nice just to stop and end with God's grace, overwhelming and complete. Let's feel good. Let's move on. But there's this reality um, that at the core of the religious tradition that Jesus is practicing, at the core of so much of the way that we think of life, it was this transactional sense I mess up, I make amends. I make a bad choice, I go bring an animal to the temple to sacrifice. 
I mean, literally, there is bloodshed, bloodletting to make amends for the ways that we fault others, the ways that we fault God. In fact, there is a holiday where um, people would come together and just make sacrifices to cover all the things that they forgot to sacrifice for. Um, And that is a tradition that is sort of at the core of the center of how we understand Jesus as, as Christians moving forward, that all of those moments where we are supposed to figure out what we have messed up and make amends, all of these times where we witness um, true bloodshed, I mean, lots of bloodletting and making amends through physical violence and retribution, that's part of this tradition that we have inherited and have moved through and come to a new place with. The reality is that the cross is this ultimate sort of sign symbol moment of how violent and brutal this world can be. I mean, we look at Israel and Gaza and all of the images and pictures that are flooding our social media feeds that are popping up on the news day after day. And I think, if this is fair, um, last week it felt really close. This week, it's like, oh, it's still happening a little bit. Like, just a little bit. If, just if we're honest, just a little bit. A week of such intractableness, of such violence and destruction. It seems like it's just starting to normalize itself already, just a little bit, after a week. I'm like, oh yeah, who knows how long this will go on. And God breaks forth into all of that violence, that, that all of that bloodshed and that tit for tat, that need to try to sacrifice and make up for and make amends, all of this driving that we have as people to try to correct the bad choices that we make or to somehow take revenge or to exercise, react to those wrongs that have been wrong to us. All of that stuff culminates in the cross, in this moment where all of our violent impulses as humanity are laid to bear, where Jesus is put to death in a pretty typical, normal fashion. Crucifixion wasn't weird in Roman times. I had a history professor once who um, said that he went to Japan um, he was a Japanese history scholar, and he had a little cross necklace, you know, like you do. Um, and everyone looked at him like he was the weirdest, creepiest individual they'd ever met. Um, because that was still a method of execution. So imagine if we like, had little like, lethal injection needles, and that was our symbol of hope that we all wandered around with, a little electric chair. And we can picture that this is not... Uh, uh, intuitively happy and positive symbol, the symbol of our bad choices, of our violence and death. And the story of the cross is that Jesus is able somehow to push through all of that in a way that is so compelling, so tangible and personal for his disciples in that moment in those weeks after Easter to remind them in a really clear way, nothing, nothing, not even our worst choices, our most violent impulses can separate us from the grace and love of God, that love wins, not violence, that God will persevere, not our bad choices, that all of those events and moments that culminate in something that seems so chaotic and brutal and horrible that we know that by fixating and pouring into and second-guessing all the nothing is going to change. What does change is the fact that God is not going anywhere. And that is a hard message to hear when we feel guilty. It's a really hard message to hear when we feel like we are in the right. It's a really hard message to hear when we want justice, and justice looks like the way we want a situation to resolve. 
And Paul points to all of those impulses and says, ugh, in the middle of our bad choices, in the middle of our complicated and messed up lives, in the middle of our most violent actions and impulses, God wades in and proves that grace is the thing that has the day, that nothing can separate us from God's love, that God's love is able to burst through even death and surprise us with new life, new possibilities, a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. And may we be people who recognize that we do not have to participate in the, the bloodletting. We do not have to figure out how we would correct or fix all of the mistakes of our past. I mean, may we be people who do not get caught up in our need to justify or be self-assured in our own choices because we know that that is just a game and more often than not, we screw up just as much as we get it right. May we be people who point to the cross and say nothing Nothing can separate us from God's grace and love. The message of our faith is not that we have it all figured out or we are exceptionally pious and holy and perfect people. The message of our faith is that God sticks with us regardless of where we are and reminds us that nothing can change that fact. That we are God's, that we are loved, that we have the capacity to move on, to make it to a new day, and to love again. Amen?